Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. North and South chapters 40 to 45. Now, Mr. Bell, who is the friend of Mr. Hale, uh, comes to visit Milton. And um, you may remember that he is actually the landlord of John Thornton's uh, warehouse factory and premise as well. So um, Mr. Bell is an Oxford fellow. He lives in Oxford, but he was originally from Milton and owns property there that he lets out to people like Thornton and makes money off so he's kind of there to visit Hale um, um, and Margaret and uh, also to conduct business as well. Now I think Gaskell uses the character of Mr Bell to further really show the contrast in the ways of thinking of people from the north and the south and Mr Bell is an interesting person because obviously he is originally a northerner but very much a southerner in the way that he lives now in Oxford his life of ease um, and his attitudes and Bell is an academic person he enjoys humor he enjoys um, saying things that sound very extreme and not necessarily meaning them Um, but when he's had a conversation with Margaret he remarks um, she's a democrat a red republican a member of the peace society a socialist Um, and of course he's he's half teasing here but I think it marks how much Margaret has changed that whereas before when she arrived in Milton she was a person from the south and she stood out from the northerners in her way of thinking now when she's talking to someone who's from the south and they are commenting that she seems northern in her ideas you know these ideas of socialism and very much from that kind of area of the manufacturers who want more rights and they want to do away with the kind of old way of doing things. Um, Margaret says, it's all because I'm standing up for the progress of commerce. And again, it seems really odd that Margaret, who initially hated trade and shoppy people, is now the one sort of standing their ground. Um, And Mr. Bell said, I'm tired of this bustle, everybody rushing over everybody in their hurry to get rich. And obviously he is here articulating the driving force that capitalism is in the 19th century the sense of the industrial revolution being fueled by a desire for wealth and people sort of seeing their chance to make it big um what the victorians called speculation was also something that was happening a lot as well when people would gamble and make bad decisions um thinking they're going to get rich quick and they're going to get lucky um only to lose everything and that obviously is what happened to John Thornton's father so in capitalism there are winners and there are losers sometimes um, the losers are the underclass of the working class people who are constantly enforced into this low-paying labor but also the losers can also be the rich if they make a wrong choice um, and lose their money Now, I think it's interesting that Mr. Hale responds, not everyone, it is not everyone who can sit comfortably in a set of college rooms and let his riches grow without any exertion of his own. So even Mr. Hale can see that the wealth of the South isn't a fair wealth. 
It isn't the wealth that has been earned through hard work, like, for example, Thornton's wealth. It is wealth that's inherited. People just sit on it and it grows without them doing a thing. And I think that both Margaret and her father are starting to see the the injustice of that. Um, Now, Belle says, I don't believe there's a man in Milton who knows how to sit still. Um, And the reply comes, Milton people, I suspect, think Oxford men don't know how to move. It would be a very good thing if they mixed a little more. Um, And there, Hale has that kind of vision of Gaskell of, you know, bring people together, bring them into dialogue. And then those lines of division will will shrink between them. Um, And Margaret points out, are you not a Milton man yourself to Mr. Bell? And he says, I don't see what there is to be proud of. Um, and he also says, I don't want to be more liberal minded. So it's a, it's a kind of ironic exchange. They're not taking it too seriously, but it does really show the growth and change in, in Margaret and her father as they've grown to understand the North and the people's attitudes. Now, Thornton comes into this conversation um, and it, it remind, the narrative reminds us he loved her sorely in spite of himself um, and is, is desperate to try and conquer his feelings. And then he overhears a comment um, that she's received a letter from Henry Lennox, which makes her very hopeful. Now, that obviously, the letter refers to Frederick and Lennox's ongoing work to try and track down witnesses for the mutiny so that Frederick's name can be cleared. But Thornton hears this name and just thinks, oh, this must be her lover. And it says he he had the greatest mind to get up and go out of the room at that very instant and never set foot in the house again. Um, And Mr Hale tries to welcome Mr Thornton into this sparring conversation that they've all been having um, and says we were accusing Mr Bell this morning of a kind of Oxonian medieval bigotry against his native town. Now Hale is enjoying the academic discourse that he's using here with his old Oxford friend but obviously Thornton feels completely out of place in such a dialogue um, and he feels affronted and he's in a bad mood anyway because he is more and more conscious of Margaret being further and further out of his reach and so Thornton sort of takes offence where no offence is meant and enters into this exchange rather more seriously than the others um, and sort of makes points which he he later kind of regrets making. Um, so Belle asks Thornton, um, don't you want enjoyment of leisure, enjoyment of the power and influence which money gives? You're all striving for money. What do you want it for? And Thornton says, money is not what I strive for. Um, and he evidently feels quite misunderstood to be counted as part of this kind of rat race of people trying to get rich quick. Um, and and finally, he gives quite a long speech where he says, we do not look upon life as a time for enjoyment, but as a time for action and exertion. Our glory and our beauty arise out of our inward strength, which makes us victorious over material resistance and over greater difficulties still. We wish people would allow us to right ourselves instead of continually meddling with their imperfect legislation. We stand up for self-government and oppose centralisation. And so he makes quite a strong political speech there and about his own values um, and and says that, um, you know, rather than not reverencing the past, as Bell accuses, they want something which can apply to the present more directly. 
Um, and so he thinks about the the strikes. And Mr. Bell makes an offhand comment, you know, uh, about Margaret's truthfulness. And Thornton, who's obviously in a bad mood, is not enjoying the conversation, feels on the back foot, makes this very sharp comment. Is Miss Hale so remarkable for truth? And in that moment, it says he could have bitten his tongue out. He, he makes this comment in spite of himself. And Margaret just wilts and, and won't speak to him again. Um, and so he never really has a chance to tell her that he's sorry for making this comment and bringing up again the lie, which he still doesn't really know the reason why she told it about Frederick. Mr. Bell says about him later, I never saw a fellow so spoiled by success. He can't bear a word, a jest of any kind. Formerly, you could not offend him because he had no vanity. And Margaret defends him. He is not vain now. Uh, something must have annoyed him. She sees that there's something not quite right with him. And that is the moment where Bell twigs that there's something going on between Margaret and Thornton, which obviously no one else has noticed the entire passage of the novel and so he says Hale did it ever strike you that Thornton and your daughter might have what the French call a tendresse for each other um and of course Hale is completely startled by this alien idea that he's never had enter his head before um, and Bell says I should say they were very pretty symptoms about her and then Hale says I'm sure you are wrong um but this begins the the seed of thought which he later then um, thinks about more and, and puts two and two together with the fact that Thornton's not been coming as often. Um, but hey, um, Bell, before he leaves, advises Hale, um, I wish you'd leave Milton. If if you would, I'd swallow my shadow of doubts, take a college living. Um, so he, he sort of encourages him to just, just give up all this conscience business, just sign the paper, whatever you need to do, just, just go back to your old life and your old ways. Um, but, um, Hale refuses to do that. Um, and, uh, alongside this, Nicholas Higgins visits and explains how him and Thornton are getting to know one another better. Um, and it's interesting that, um, Higgins says, sometimes he says a rough thing or two, which is not agreeable to look at at first, but has a queer smack of truth in it when you come to chew it. Um, and I love that because it really shows why Margaret's lie affects him so much because at his core Thornton loves truth and is an honest man and so the fact that Margaret's lied is is particularly repugnant to him and his sense of honesty. Now Hale finally confronts Margaret about Thornton and so she does confess that he did propose and she did refuse him. And Hale gives the comment, I, I knew too well what your real feelings were to suppose you could ever like Mr. Thornton in that way. So he's still really no idea of her true feelings. Um, and he, he, finds, he finds that she's crying. Her face is wet with tears, but he still doesn't really understand uh, the depth of her uh, emotion. Um, and so there's that kind of pathos that nobody really understands Margaret's predicament. Um, now... Henry Lennox sends a letter saying there's very little hope of Frederick ever being acquitted um, and he um, marries uh, Dolores and is very happy in Spain so um, 
Margaret smiles when she gets a letter from him which tells her um, that he's turned into a merchant himself and so she smiles at the irony, her old tirades against trade. Here was her pro-chevalier of a brother turned merchant trader. Um, And so um, she sends her father off to visit Mr Bell in Oxford and for the first time in two years she's free from any responsibility. So she finally has time to take stock reflect on everything that's happened to her and she realizes how much pressure she's been under um, and she she keeps thinking back to that that blunder that error when she told the lie to the police inspector that Thornton knew about and she reads a passage in French which roughly translated is about uh, choosing the way of humility um, and she, and at this point she's she's fully accepting that her lie was wrong um, and trying to sort of move on from that that happened. Now, the other thing that's interesting to note is that the news has come that Thornton's sister, Fanny, is going to be married to a rich gentleman who's a good deal older than her. And there's echoes of Edith here. Very similar to Edith, Fanny is making what is known as a very good marriage, i.e. a financially beneficial one, not necessarily for love. Um, And later on, there's a kind of funny exchange where she's looking at all the glossy wedding dresses um, and she kind of is more in love with the fabric than she is with the the fiancé, which is obviously the status of a lot of these kind of marriages at this time. Um, But what is interesting is that um, as Hale visits Bell, they talk again about his decision. Um, and Hale is keen to establish with his friend that even if he knew before doing it that his wife was going to die and that all these th- bad things were going to happen in Milton, he says, I would have done just the same. And I think Gaskell really wants to make that point that in acting on his conscience, Hale was right to do what he did. Uh, and eventually Bell says this, um, he that is God gave you strength to do what your conscience told you was right. And I don't see that we need any higher or holier strength than that. Um, and I think this is important because it underlines Gaskell's message about religious tolerance and f- and following what you believe to be right. The, the conscience of the individual being um, of first importance. And having sort of established that with Bell, Hale then dies suddenly in the night. Um, he's been ailing ever since his wife died. Um, but obviously, um, all of a sudden, Margaret is left as an orphan. Now, Belle comes back to Milton to break the news to uh, Margaret and fo- and actually sees Thornton before he sees Margaret. And Thornton obviously realises the implications of this to Margaret and says, what will become of her? You know, she's a single girl. She can't live on her own. That that wouldn't be proper. Um, she hasn't got any money, any income whatsoever. Um, and this puts her in a very precarious position. But she does have the advantage of Mr. Bell's support as her godfather. And he's obviously uh, left everything to her in his will. So she will be um, an heiress you know, she will inherit when he dies. Um, and obviously she's got her mother's family, the Shaws, Edith's um, mother and Edith herself married to Captain Lennox, who were keen to look after her as well. Um, and so um, 
Belle explains to Thornton that there are these relatives who who have a call upon her. Um, And Belle makes the comment about... um, Cotton and speculations and smoke, well-cleansed and well-cared-for machinery and unwashed and neglected hands about how um, that's how he sees Milton. And then he says, were you ever at Halston, a little picturesque village? And obviously to Belle, you know, this place, Milton, is it's just the sort of place that Margaret needs to get out of. Um, and again, it underlines to Thornton this gulf that is opening up between her, him and Margaret. Now, of course, when she hears the news of her father's death, Margaret is is absolutely devastated. Um, she's physically exhausted, and she, she just she finally really collapses, ha- having borne so much strain. Um, and finally, um, her aunt comes to to come and help her with what needs to be done um, and then to take her to live with her in London, in Harley Street. So what's happening here is the Milton chapter of Margaret's life is is coming to an end, or so she thinks. Um, Edith is uh, too near her confinement to undertake a journey. So if you can picture it, we began the novel with Edith on the verge of marriage to Captain Lennox. Now Edith is pregnant, presumably with her second child, because she's already given birth out in Corfu. And so Edith is in this um, stage. Edith's got Edith's done everything that the typical Victorian woman would do. She's married at a young age to a gentleman older than herself, and she's already born two children in the time that Margaret has undergone a very different journey. She's not got engaged. She's had two proposals, but she's refused both of them. She's undergone this massive transformation, and now she's finally become an orphan. So in the, in the sense that she's now an independent woman, even though she's not fully independent, she has to live with somebody. Um, Margaret has has done this full circle journey now and although Belle describes her as helpless homeless friendless we know her character has has grown in this time and so um, Margaret finds herself in the situation of having to say goodbye to all the people that she's grown to love and go back to Harley Street and she's in such a daze of grief that she doesn't really have any fight in her left to argue. Um, Thornton is obviously devastated that she's going to be leaving Um, and uh, when uh, Belle talks to um, the Thorntons about Margaret's situation he describes her as as broken down um, and talks about the the cousins claiming her in London as if she were a laptop a lapdog belonging to them, and she's too weak and miserable to have a will of her own. Now, one interesting thing is that Belle tells Thornton about Frederick, um, and at this point, Thornton starts to realise that perhaps the man that he saw at the train station with Margaret might have been him. But in the next breath, um, when he asks if Frederick was around for Mrs. Hale's death, um, Belle, obviously, who didn't know that he visited, said, oh, no, 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 you must have seen her with with young Lennox. And so this idea of Lennox as the chief rival for Thornton keeps getting reinforced in Thornton's eyes. Um, Now, we also find out in this chapter that um, 
Thornton got the idea of buying wholesale food and cooking on the the premise of his factory um, so that his workers could get a good quality, cheap meal. Um, And Higgins has helped him sort of make that a reality. Um, And he's really getting to know some of his workers now because he's actually eating with them. Um, And um, I I love this, this quote here, nothing like the act of eating for equalizing men. Um, and that's for, that's from Bell, even someone who you know would never be rubbing shoulders with the working class as it is, but um, that shows again Thornton's growth in that he's beginning to listen, he's beginning to let down his guard and actually get to know some of his workers as people. Now, um, Margaret is is at the point now where she's saying her final goodbyes, and of course, there's that real sense in which we we long that she could be able to say goodbye to Thornton properly and that they could confess their feelings for one another um but it just just doesn't happen um and Thornton uh thinks this beauty and heiress as she may be she will find it hard to meet with a truer heart than mine there was no tone of regret no emotion of any kind in the voice with which she said goodbye so he just doesn't reveal to her how he's feeling at that moment and of course she feels that sense of of huge disappointment um and higgins reports to margaret that thornton said to him she's got grand relations and they're carrying her off so that sense of those relations from london the people of the south dividing uh, him and margaret margaret from the north now what's really interesting is as she goes back into London into Harley Street she finds herself in a luxurious house where the bare knowledge of the existence of every trouble or care seems scarcely to have penetrated Um, and she's back in Harley Street and everything's the same but she is different and she sees everything with new eyes and her aunt calls it her home although to her Helston is always going to be her home and she notices how Captain Lennox um, spent some time with his wife, some time with his little boy, and then lounged away the rest of his time at his club. So the idea of the, the life of leisure of people of the South is so alien to her now. And, and she thinks of the strange contrast between the life there, that is Milton, and here. She was getting surfeited of the eventless ease in which no struggle or endeavour was required. Um, she was afraid lest she should become sleepily deadened into forgetfulness of anything beyond the life which was lapping her round with luxury. The very servants lived in an underground world of their own. So whereas up north she was right in the thick and the bustle of life, she was seeing the servants, she was interacting with all these working class people, here she's cosseted in this bubble of London society and she actually hates it. She finds it extremely stifling and every day she has to go to this, go through this timetable where they get up late, they breakfast and they make plans which had nothing to do with her. There's all these notes to write which Edith gives her to do and then they all go out in the evening and she's left behind. Um, she's obviously still in mourning which meant that she wouldn't be able to go to social events anyway. But we get this real sense that um, the chapter's called Ease not peace. She's away from all of the so-called troubles that she had in Milton, but she's not found the rest and peace that perhaps she expected that she would. Um, And um, 
Belle tells her that Thornton is proving a very active friend to help settle all of her parents' affairs back in Milton and help with everything else. Um, And Margaret realises that um, Thornton has now found out about Frederick, but she knows that she realises that Belle didn't know that Frederick was visiting and so he wouldn't have told Thornton about it so she realises that Thornton still doesn't know the truth about that situation. Now um, the other interesting thing is the continual contrast between Margaret and Edith and Henry Lennox comes back so again we're seeing full circle now just as the beginning of the novel Henry Lennox is back and notices the contrast that Margaret is to Edith. It says, to be sure, in her quiet black dress, she was a contrast to Edith dancing in her white crepe morning, long floating golden hair, all softness and glitter. And so um, Margaret is not one of these society people. She isn't um, just a flighty young woman who just wants to dance all the time. She's serious. She's grave. She has things that she cares about. And in that sense, she really aligns with Thornton's character because he's exactly the same. Um, Now, Lennox talks to Mr. Bell about... Mr. Hale's decision um, to leave his living. And Belle is shocked to hear Lennox sort of criticise Hale so openly. And Belle defends Hale and says, he behaved in the most conscientious manner. He showed more resolute strength than I should ever have given him credit for formally. Um, Lennox says, well, there was no call upon Mr. Hale to do what he did, relinquish the living, throw himself and his family on the tender mercies of private teaching in a manufacturing town. They are very apt to disturb themselves with imaginary doubts as to the articles of faith. Basically implying that Hale, you know, was just making everything up and why couldn't he just um, swallow it? And I think that that shows um, the contrast with Lennox's character. And as Belle finds his assessment of Hale quite jarringly judgmental um we're we're seeing how Lennox's character is nothing compared to Thornton's Thornton who valued Hale as a dear friend and has now practically done everything in his power to help Margaret even from a distance and even when she's gone now they decide to go um to Helston um and Again, Belle contrasts Halston with Milton by saying, every stick and every stone is there as it has done for the last century, while in Milton I often lose my way because it's constantly changing. Um, And I think at this point in the novel, what we want to see is what will Margaret do when she goes back to Halston? If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.